you know, yesterday I was, this is not in my sermon, but yesterday I was uh, getting my oil changed in my car, and I talked to one of the attendants uh, there, and it just struck me once again. Well, I, I did some witnessing. I shared Jesus with this person, and I encourage you to do that and look for opportunities to share Jesus in your daily lives. There are people who are around you, and it could come in the, in the most, most odd places. And sometimes we might be that one person out of seven. I've said before to the church that it takes about seven people to share Jesus before someone actually begins to think that, well, wait a minute, uh, maybe God does love me. Um, and so that's just a generalization that it takes about seven people. But you might be one of those persons along the way sharing Jesus. So as you go along in your life, share God's love. It could be a simple, God's love, God loves you, Jesus loves you. It could be helping people think correctly. So like yesterday I was talking to uh, someone who was helping me with the oil change, and, and he just had this completely wrong idea. You know, he said, well, everybody has Jesus. But he said, I'm going to tell you right now, not everyone has Jesus. I suppose if everyone had Jesus, I mean, why would we even have a church if we're going to be that universalistic to believe that just everyone has Jesus and just, just we live our lives and at the end Jesus looks at us and says, well, you're a good guy, I love you, just come on in. That's not the gospel. Everyone does not have Jesus. We have to call upon his name. And as we call upon his name, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And we become transformed. We're, we're, we're not talking about, in the church, we're not talking about a faith that is just kind of this, this kind of operates on a, on a cerebral, intellectual level that doesn't change us. We're talking about a faith that changes us, that, that we're different people because we've come into this relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want us to stay the same. Uh, it, it amazes me in our culture, and I'm way off my sermon today, but it amazes me in our culture that, that anyone even would come to church. You know, we've struggled here for, ever since I've been here, I'm not alone, we're not alone. Uh, we've always struggled with the church going up and down and attendance and all these kinds of things. But as I've been here, I've been here, what, 11 years now? It, it kind of blows my mind that in our, such a radically individualistic culture, where we can get you know, the word that we want on our, on our phones. Uh, why do people even come to church? Especially if they don't have relationships. Because church is about relationships and relationship building. And ultimately, of course, our relationship with Jesus. God has called us into relationships. And that's what he wants for us. Um, I'm just sharing with you some things that are on my heart based upon what's happened to me in the last couple of days. Um, let's begin the message. Begin the message. Maybe I just gave you a little bit of it, but it's actually didn't doesn't connect directly with this because we're in Ecclesiastes uh, this morning. Now I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again when it comes to Ecclesiastes. Rabbi Morris Kurtzer, not the most commonly used illustration because a lot of times preachers don't normally use the word of a rabbi uh, in their message, but nevertheless. Uh, he, he says this, he says, As a tourist in Italy, I walked through the magnificent ruins of ancient Pompeii. 
On the main street is a drinking fountain that stood in the middle of the thoroughfare for centuries before the common era. The guide pointed out where the water had gushed forth, and amazingly, the spot in the marble where people laced the four fingers of their hand to lean over for a drink. In other words, you could look at this fountain, you could see where people had put their hands before. Have you been to old places like that? We could actually see that kind of thing. It says there, etched in the marble are deep indentations of a human palm and four fingers. Incredible. It's hard to imagine that a hand leaning on a piece of marble would leave a mark, but do it for 400 years and the hand might as well be a chisel. I mean, think about that. Have you been to places like that? I mean, I'll never forget when I went to, I went with my brother. I was just a kid. And I went with my brother to uh, North Carolina to Duke University because he was starting his freshman year there and I drove across the country with him. And I, I remember looking at Duke, and there's these, it's an old school. And I, I've never seen this before because I grew up in Longview, and Longview is a relatively new place. And Duke had been around a lot longer. And, you, and in Duke, on the campus of Duke, you could, go, you could go to places, and you'd see the steps, and the steps would be indented because people would walk on them, and they'd walked on them for, I mean, 100 years or something. It's amazing how things that seem permanent in our lives are not permanent. Uh, look around the church building. Look around this sanctuary. You'll see that, uh, you know, so many of us, we think things are permanent. Look at this brick wall. You think it's permanent. For those, of, uh, for those there are some of you who were here when the church was built. I'm going to tell you right now, the structure of the church is not permanent. God's never been into buildings. He's into people. That doesn't mean that this shouldn't be well kept. We need to keep up our, 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 our uh, building and so forth. As someone I know works all the time on this place, <laughs> He doesn't like being pointed out probably. But the point is, is that we need to take care of our place. But I mean, the real point is that is there anything in all creation permanent? Well, um, the ancients had a particular view. It's, it's in there what we call our cosmology. I'll get to that word in a minute. But I want you to, to, uh, the, to think about the fact that Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1 gives to us a cosmology, a way of looking at beginnings and so forth, uh, understanding of the world uh, and creation. Uh, listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1. I've been in Ecclesiastes, sermon number 4, and now I'm on verse 4. That's, I don't know if that's encouraging to you or, dis, or really just like discouraging, but nevertheless. No, I'm going to cover more material than that today. Look at what he says. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. There's a cosmology there. There's an understanding of the world. Uh, people come and go. He says, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Not a very positive view of history, quite frankly. 
Is there a thing of, of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Um, Solomon has a um, cosmology, like I said. Verse 4 is the key verse. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, Solomon is presenting to us this understanding of the world where there's only one thing that's permanent, and that is earth and sky. This is the ancient view. The ancients believed that the earth and the sky were always there. This is why earthquakes were so unsettling to the ancients. But particularly, you read the book of Revelation, you have earthquakes. It's communicating that something's going on that shouldn't be going on because the earth is supposed to be solid and not change. The sky is supposed to be an unchangeable what do you call it? An unchangeable sky. It's not supposed to move. It's not supposed to change. Clouds, rain, sure. But the sky, we, <clears throat> excuse me, when we look at the sky, we can count on it being there. Yeah, th this idea of the earth, the sky, the material world being unchangeable is a different cosmology, a different understanding than what we have as Christians. As Christians, we believe something very different. Uh, we think and we know that the world is not permanent as we know it, the permanent world, uh, the, the uh, material world. Um, and, the, and, and see, the ancients believed, most of them, all those who were not Jewish, <laughs> they believed that the world or the material world didn't really have a beginning and didn't really have an end. You know, for those of us, uh, those, those who subscribe to the Big Bang Theory, it's interesting because it's, a try to get an, it's a, an attempt to explain the beginning of the material world. Um, but there still has to be something that, you know, the Big Bang Theory, there's some sort of small ball or something where everything begins from. I, I don't, no one's ever seen it, right? Of course. But there had to be, I always think about that and I go, well, if you explain the beginning of the universe, but where did the small ball come from? Right? Where'd that come from? Um, there has to be a beginning. Well, what the ancient idea was that the earth and the sky just remained forever. And what I'm trying to tell you is that our cosmology is different because the, the, the material world is not eternal. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay? Uh, take a look at, we're going to take a look at Romans 4 where Paul makes, uh, mentions something about this. He says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. He's talking about Abraham. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also the, the one uh, who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, and then this gets to my point, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now in that passage, no question that Paul is referring to the raising of the dead, and that that there's a sense in which when we are raised from the dead, he's calling us into a new existence. But it also, uh, but, but, but Paul definitely has on his, in his mind also this idea that God is the one who creates. Everything begins in him. Everything begins with him. Everyone is dependent upon him. Everyone comes from him. There is nothing that exists that does not come from the hand of God. God is the beginning. As much as the Big Bang Theory might explain some things, it doesn't explain the, the, that which is was that of that little ball. 
of whatever that stuff is. There has to be a personal beginning is what, is what uh, Paul's telling us. Um, because God is the only permanent one. But it's not just the beginnings we're talking about. It's also the ends of things that we're talking about. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you this uh, passage from Second. Uh, let's see. Here we go. From Second Peter chapter three. Peter says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm st- uh, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord. Of, of the Lord and Savior through your, through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own uh, sinful desires. Then it gets really interesting here. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? We're people who believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are, are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. There's so much here we could talk about. I'm not going to. And that by the means of these, the world, uh, world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. You know, he's, he's pointing to the fact that not only, not only was there a beginning of the material world, but there's an end of the material world that we, at least as we understand it, is, you know, which really is an amazing statement. It says, being kept under this day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Uh, the, 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 there isn't, our world's not going to continue to go on and on and on. The, the earth is not permanent. The sky is not permanent. Nothing that of, of the material world is permanent. It just isn't. It may be beautiful. We may enjoy it. But it's not permanent. There's only one who's permanent, and that's God. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to live in eternity with him. I, I, we definitely will. Those who trust in Jesus will live in eternity with him, and those who don't trust in Jesus will live in eternity separated from him. From him. There is a judgment. But the earth and the sky as we know it will cease to exist. This is one of Peter's points here, is that it's stored up for fire, stored up for judgment. It's really weird. You know, I remember being in college. I had this good friend who was this on-fire Christian. And every, I mean, he thought different. I mean, he thought a lot like the way I did. But he also, wow, he was, he was a really on-fire guy. His name was Greg Heratunian. Man, he loved Jesus. Wow, if I could only love Jesus the way he loved Jesus, right? I mean, he loved Jesus. And every now and then, he'd look at me, you know, I'd like I say I'd do a really poorly on an exam. And I'd go to Greg. And Greg kind of picked me up. He kind of encouraged me. I didn't do so well on this exam. He would all, he'd look at me and just, I'll never forget, he'd look at me and say, Paul, it's all going to burn. That's what he'd say. It's all going to burn. Get perspective. It's all going to burn, right? We got to remember that. And we have to remember that when it comes to like, Christians in this church, in this place. Friends, I, the pews are wonderful. They're even orange for Kalama. You know, you, I hope you noticed that, right? I'm wearing purple today for, like, where's my friend, by the way? My friend, my... Husky friend? Where's my husky friend? Where is he? Back there somewhere. Where is he? I want you to know that we got a testimony yesterday. We got a testimony yesterday that even the huskies won't last forever. Right? But I, I shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't be going down this road. I shouldn't be. Okay, never mind. Well, I wanted to talk to Richard. I don't... Oh, well, I was wearing purple for him today. 
All right, all right. So there's only one who's permanent. Okay, I'm, I, I get myself into trouble by doing these things. I just have fun. He goes on. I, I'll skip this. But notice, look at verse 10, though. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So nothing is permanent except Jesus Christ. Is that good news for you? You know, when, when, when things are tough, it's really good news for me. Sometimes I get weary. Sometimes I get exhausted. And I, I just I need to have this, this, uh, this perspective. Um, as Christians, we have to be careful about our perspective. I wrote that down. But I want you to see that Solomon's words have perspective. In other words, the words that were given in Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11 have great value for us. Sometimes we think that, you know, because he's giving us a different cosmology, a different understanding of the world, that his words, how, how is words possibly going to have value? I mean, I've already told you in the last three sermons that God doesn't enter into Ecclesiastes. He's not in there. He is in there in a surprising way. In other words, he's around it. I'm not saying it isn't God's word, but it is a testimony to the fact that, there are, that without God, we have no joy, really have no life. This is, a, this, is this huge testimony that, that, uh, that's deep within our Old Testament. Um, there is no revelation. And what would be life be like without revelations? And the book of Ecclesiastes is, is exactly that. But, it, but the words of, of Solomon have great value. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. There's two reasons that, that uh, has great value. Number one, Solomon's words have great value for us because they speak to our common experience as human beings. So, they speak to the unfairness of life and death. Just look at those words in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, 1 here. Look at, the, look at those words. Look at the unfairness in those words. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Don't you think Solomon is saying this? Uh, time out. Unfair. It's not good. Uh, those mountains up there, they're going to be here when I die. Ooh. God, aren't I supposed to be the greatest of your creation? God is silent. Uh, unfair, it's unfair. Those, that river, that river that flows, and those streams that flow, they're, they're very beautiful, and, 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 and yet when I die, they're going to keep running. And that's, not, that's not, wait a minute, that's not right. Solomon understands that there's something in him that should go on and on and on. People are going to decay, and people are supposed to be the greatest of all creations, right? I think Solomon has something of this in his mind. He recognizes that, hey, there is that people are supposed to be greater than the things around them. I think he has that in his mind, and he's crying unfair. Unfair, not good, not right. I really think that's what, he, what he's trying to tell us. But we have this common experience, you see, because we all experience this. Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11, these great words, famous passage, are the words of one who grieves. 
we all grieve, right? Do we not all grieve? Something is not right with the world. Indeed, something, it seems, has gone dreadfully, has been dreadfully lost. What is the lost thing? Solomon understands this. Solomon knows that the very lost thing is purpose. The world, because it keeps going on and on, is yelling and screaming and calling at us saying, you don't have a purpose. If God doesn't enter into our time and space, what's it all about? There's no purpose of this. What's the lost thing? What's lost is purpose. What's lost is a reason to live. But then even more profoundly, he goes on. He's trying to tell us, I'm I'm certain of this. Because that, that human life, in a sense, is a cruel joke. If God doesn't enter into our time and space, if we don't have a relationship with him, human life is a cruel joke. In our common experience without God, it seems that all people have no value. No value. What's the point? No wonder people commit suicide in our world. They don't get it. They don't see themselves as being worth anything. This world is not for them. That's a terrible message. But all of us, even as Christians, should be able to understand that very point. That there's a sense in which, without God, we don't have a purpose, we don't have value. Do you understand that? Do you get that? You see what I'm saying by that? Um, I think this is a tremendous problem uh, for people. Okay? Um, a generation goes, a generation comes. You know, what's, you know what's actually happens here? I'm going to read this again for you, verses 5 through 9. Just listen to these words. I have a perspective on this. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Around and round goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. You see what the picture is? It just keeps going, circling around, just keeps going and going. It's the same old thing, same old thing, same old thing. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. Same old thing, same old thing, same old thing. To the place where the streams flow, where they, uh, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. The earth is like Groundhog Day. It is, right? You've seen the film. It's like Groundhog Day. It is. That's what he's saying. I, maybe, I don't know, maybe the writers of Groundhog Day got this idea from this passage. There's no point. There's no, what does he do all the time? In that scene, what's he going to do? He's going to commit suicide. Because, you know, I really wanted to give this message on Groundhog Day, which actually, February 2nd, this year is the Super Bowl and all that, you know, and it would be, per- but I wasn't, I'm in Ecclesiastes now, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Groundhog Day, that's us. Without Jesus, that's, that's what this world is in. Because there's no value, there's no purpose to anything. You think there's something new? Look, the best thing that we can do as human beings and people think it's new, and in a sense, it's not new at all. The best thing people can do is come up with a new piece of technology. In the history of the world, our nation has been the most amazing nation when it comes to technology. But guess what? We're still the same. And this here, one of the, one of the interesting things about this technology is that it's going to decay. It's going to break. This item right here is not permanent. We have to make a new one. 
we're in Groundhog Day without Jesus Christ. We really are. Um, that may be the only thing you remember from this message. But if that's the only thing you remember, that's worth remembering. Because that's where people are. And so what do they have to do? They have to find all kinds of new things to, get, to keep them distracted, to keep them entertained, to forget the fact that they don't have value, to forget the fact that there's not a reason to live, to forget the fact that they don't have purpose. They've got to keep themselves entertained all the time. What's my new show? What's my new thing? What's my new thing? What's, what's my new app? They're too afraid to stop and look. Um, but we have that common experience. That's the thing. We can relate to them on this place. Now, this is really important because it gets to my second thing of, uh, uh, second aspect of the value of Solomon's words. Solomon's words have value because, for two reasons. One is, one is that we have a common experience with everyone. But because we have a common experience with everyone, Solomon's words give us a critical connection point with non-believers. It's like what I was talking about, you know, talking to the guy who was changing my oil yesterday. I've got a place of connection with him. I, I just got a note. Okay, indeed, you are, I'm, I'm going to say it because he's important, you're elf on the shelf. Okay, he's elf on the shelf. You know what, it's Groundhog Day because he tells me this every day. You see? All right. But anyway, point is, is that we have this critical connection point with non-believers. Listen, friends, we need to use it in our conversations. Um, and and, and if, if we don't, then we're missing it. We're missing out on opportunities. I mean, we, let's face it. We're a different kind of people. We, there's many things about us as Christians that are different in the world. We need connection points. We need places to connect with people. We need ways to connect with people. And we can connect with people when they grieve. That's why going to the hospital is so important. That's why visiting people who are in pain is important. Visiting people who are sick are important. Because we can relate to that stuff. We need connection points. Because we're really different. We are weird. We are weird in this world. We're strange. I tell my wife this all the time. I'm different. I'm weird. I know it. Okay? I have a good friend in the church. Bob Hill is always reminding me that in the Old Testament, uh, the King James Version well, it's actually in the old and the new. But the King James Version likes to say that we're a peculiar people. Right? We are. We are. We're called to holiness, but the world is full of sin, right? The world is in the sphere of sin. We're in the sphere of holiness. God's working with us. We're the children of God. The world, I'll just say it, it belongs to Satan. Right? The world belongs to Satan. Right? We live in the truth of Jesus Christ. The world lives in deception. We are a peculiar people, God's own possession, you see. And so we need to find connection points. And that's what Solomon's words gives us in, in verses 4 through 11, because we can understand this stuff, because we too at times lose our sense of purpose. Now let me tell you something. You have a purpose. I have so much more I wanted to say this morning. I'm not going to get to it. You're probably thinking, thank goodness. That's enough. Okay, but, but I'll say this. I'll say this one thing. Boy, I had this passage. I was going to read and walk through it. Jesus found connections. He came to us as a human being. God, all the time, was you know through the history of of the people of God. You know, He's always finding places and ways to connect with people. So. 
So in many and various ways, God sent this message to us about his love. But it took Jesus Christ to really fully connect with us because he became fully human. And you know what? When I read that book, words in Ecclesiastes 1, I think there are times when Solomon is weeping. And what a horrible place to be in. To not be, to not have God come into your life. And When Jesus shows up, if we were to read through this passage in John chapter 11, we find at one point that Jesus weeps. Jesus wept. I think he weeps because he loved those people so much. Now, nobody really knows exactly why he wept in John eleven thirty five. But I know this. I know that everyone he was with, he loved. I think his heart burst. It broke. Because those people didn't understand how much they had with them. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead to show them that God had visited them. God wants to visit you today. And I think, I really believe this, I think he weeps when we go our own way, do our own thing, get distracted by all of our, all the stuff in our world, and we don't ask him to come into our lives every day. Every day. And I'm not talking about getting born again every day. I'm talking about being in relationship with God every day. That's the challenge. And that's the call. And that's the gift that we have. We can connect with other people and show them that God loves them. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, there's so much. There's so much that we don't understand. And we fail in so many ways because we are so distracted by our own little things, our own little gadgets, or looking at our iPhone while there's somebody in front of us who needs to talk to us or whatever it would be because we're not, we're not, we're not willing to be in relationship with the world. We're so enticed to be in relationship with our phones. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. I ask that you would use us to speak your love in Jesus to the world around us. Please, Lord, make us sensitive to the people around us who need you. Make us good listeners. Get our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on you and those around us whom you love. Make us be your witnesses and your love bearers in this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.